0: Very pleased to introduce tonight's moderator, my friend Oscar Garza. Oscar Garza, let me just say, was a longtime supporter of Sokolo, and we're always grateful for his early support. Oscar is a news editor at KPCC Southern California Public Radio. Previously, he was a senior editor at the Los Angeles Public Media, senior editor at the Los Angeles Daily News, editor in chief of Tusiudad magazine, and held various positions at the Los Angeles Times. Give, give applause to tu yeah. And now I'll give a warm welcome to Mr. Oscar Garza. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Gregory, and thanks uh, to all of you for coming. I'm gonna do just the formal part of the introduction and then, and then uh, we'll get started here. But uh, it's great to be here, uh, and it's great to meet uh, Juan Felipe, who I'd not met prior to tonight, but been a fan of his work for a while. Uh, He's been involved with the spoken word movement since the late 1960s and has founded spoken word performance troops in almost every city he has lived (laughs) or visited from L.A. and San Francisco to Humboldt, Fresno, and Riverside, where he is currently a professor of creative writing at UC Riverside. He's the author of 29 books uh, and the recipient of numerous awards. Most recently, he was appointed uh, California Poet Laureate by Governor Jerry Brown.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And, and I want to read just a
0: couple of very brief uh, excerpts from the foreword to this anthology of his work, uh, which the, the book is called Half of the World in Light. Uh, and the, the foreword is written by uh, Francisco Lomeli, and it's, and it's just a really beautiful piece of work. But uh, I wanted to just sort of say, read a couple of things that he said about Juan Felipe. No one has encompassed more literary space of substance, renovation, and originality than Juan Felipe Herrera, who stands out as perhaps the most innovative alchemist of metaphoric language and a voice of the overall Chicano experience. Uh, His place in American literary circles has expanded considerably beyond the Chicano canon. He moves freely and defiantly against ghettoized notions of literature and away from popular consumerist literary expression. He stands out as a poetic phenomenon for his robust productivity, but most of all, he is a uniquely American writer whose ethnicity conditions his Ars Poetica without constraining it. Ladies and gentlemen, Juan Felipe Herrera. (laughs) (laughs) How did uh, did the the Poet Laureate thing come about? Did you just get a call and say, hey, you want to be the Poet Laureate, or you are the Poet Laureate?
1: Yeah, I just got a call, and
0: uh, were you nominated? I, how, does, how, no, how, how does it happen?
1: It, it's It's a pretty big thing. you know, <laughs> uh, a lot of good people uh, put my name up uh, mm-hmm. uh, in the Bay Area as well as the California Arts Council. Mm-hmm. They receive all the nominations, and then they go through them and they um, get some darts and throw some. <laughs> <laughs> no, they 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 actually uh, put all those nominations together, and then they submit three nominations to uh to the governor's appointment office, and mm-hmm. then those get looked at. And reviewed after I, I filled out an application as well, and then one gets selected, and uh, then so then I got a call uh, that I had been appointed uh, as a, a California Lowrider poet, <laughs> 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 and uh, and then what ha- uh, w- and then I went up to uh, to be uh, one of the judges for the uh, Out Loud Championship uh, recitation. Uh, Poetry contest throughout California, where every county has a mm. a champion of recitation out loud poetry, which was amazing. I was very inspired. I mean uh, you guys seen that right and so, uh, 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 high school age uh, poets that uh, recite a poem, select a poem and and learn it and perform it and uh, project and have presence. they had to go through like eight variables of presentation. It was pretty heavy duty. <laughs> And, uh, and then I was up in Sacramento to listen to them with four other judges and, you know, grading them. I go, you know what, uh, they all get A's, you know, that's it. You know, it's too much, you know, boxes, it's like math. So, so, so yeah, so then we, we did that. And, um,
0: and was there a ceremony for the laureate?
1: <laughs> so I was, in, I, this was at the, on the Senate floor. This occurred on the Senate floor. So I carved my name on one of the seats.
0: Right?
1: <laughs> yeah, I vote for, uh, you know. <laughs> so uh, so I took some time out, little time that we had, because as soon as the word got out, the cameras came out, the crews came out, and. Usted los gustaría saber de. ¿Qué piensa usted de poeta laureado de California? Aquí tenemos una reportera de Madrid. So there was a lot of uh, Spanish uh, television yeah. as well. Uh, so then I got into the, uh, uh, the governor's office and um, got through there, patted the bronze bear, and, 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 and got in there. And um, I uh, waited a little while, and there I was in the uh, governor's office with Governor Jerry Brown. and he w- he was, he's, he's on the ball, let me tell you. As soon as I got in, he goes, well, what I'd like to know, Juan Felipe, uh, before we do anything, is uh, we've got to talk about the wasteland. We're gonna talk about the wasteland right now, okay? T.S. Eliot, right now. We're gonna go for it right now. Okay, wait, 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 wait. (laughs) He goes, as you know, this was a critique of society at that time. I go, of course, of course, of course. It's all a critique. Everything is a critique. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I like to apply the findings of Eliot in at this time in our society right now. Oh, that's very good. Very good idea.
0: <laughs> He's a Jesuit to the to the bitter end. I'm
1: kind of pushing it a little bit right here, and and then he says, and that is why, I want to ask you, uh, how do we apply T. S. Eliot's <coughs> Wasteland in the 21st century, in particular this time in California, as the socio political, cultural uh, elements are coming to a head. And there's crisis and conflict and controversy and contradiction. So, what do you think? (laughs) So I said, um, it'll be just fine. (laughs) Everything is okay. Uh, No, so we talked about it. It was heavy duty. Uh, It was good. It was thick. And uh, so uh, we talked. It went all the way to Camus. We went all the way to Camus. And then we came all the way back. And uh, by that time, I was ready for the oath, let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) So so that's how it happened. At least you had
0: a a, a more substantial conversation with him than the first time I met him, which was a long time ago, uh, during his first term in office. Uh, I was really young. Uh, and I was at a party that he was at, and I guess there were a lot of staff people there, and, and he came in and he started working the room, just walking up to people, and he mm-hmm. walks up to me and puts his hand out, he goes, do you work for me? <laughs> <laughs> and I guess he could have said the same thing. It
1: was good, you know, yes, it was good because, uh, you know, I noticed uh, he was interested in poetry, you know, he was interested in society, <laughs> he was really interested in this, in, this, in this thing that we've all been interested in in our lives, and yet he was, he was right on it. He was interested in uh, how do we connect poetry to society and not only connect it, but how do we make it, um, what knowledge can we um, uh, cull from, from a poem and apply it directly to the social ills of right now? And I thought that was mm-hmm. really ambitious and I remembered uh, that ambition of the late 60s and of the civil rights mm-hmm. and uh, uh, why I became a poet at the very beginning. Which was exactly that. And why was that? It was to bring about change. Mm. And it was about to uh, bring about change through poetry. And, uh, I, and
0: how, how, how old were you and where were you when that? you made this?
1: Uh, um, I, I don't know, 17 and a half here at UCLA. Mm. Yeah, and I had just come out of San Diego on a one way ticket and uh, a crazy Oldsmobile with Romulo Lopez and, uh, and, and Don Osgood and Danny Lopez uh, with our uh, EOP scholarships. And uh, yeah, you know, we got our EOP scholarship. (laughs) What does that stand for? Uh, Everything all right. (laughs) Problemo or something, you know? (laughs) Equal opportunity program. And uh, Kenneth Washington had just kind of kicked that off from Washington, D.C. as well. And there we were, we got our, you know, big old four-inch thick envelope uh, around August uh, 1967. And it landed in the mailbox, popped it open, and there it was. You are now admitted to UCLA on a four-year fellowship, EOP fellowship. And uh, my mom said, Ay, que bueno, Juanito. Que bueno. Vas a ir a la escuela. You're going to go to school now. Para una educación and get an education. And then I... I came up in that Oldsmobile and with my Chicano luggage, uh, cardboard with rope around it, that's how it was. I ended up on the front steps of uh, you know, UCLA, the bus drops you off, and I said, well, okay, I, I got to look for the dorm. Where's that dorm? Mmm. So I kept on walking for miles after miles, and I finally found a building, I pushed the elevator button, I went up to the fourth floor, I was in the maternity ward. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe how far the dorm was. But so, th- so then I kind of camped out on the lawn, and I finally made it to the dorm. So you, you,
0: came, you came here from San Diego, you said. From San Diego. And how long had you lived there? Because I know your family moved around a lot. When you were.
1: And San Diego, well, I was there since uh, second grade, off and on, hmm. since the mid-50s, off and on. So at what San point did,
0: did words begin to mean something to you?
1: Mm, I think they began to mean something for me at the very beginning. Because uh, my mom always used to sing to me. Hmm. And that's all I heard was songs and lullabies and and dichos and corridos. I mean, you know, hardcore Mexican ballads of the revolution. It wasn't like, uh, you know, sweet pea, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) These were heavy duty songs, (laughs) you know. Um, A las once de la noche Estábamos desesperados Nos montaron en un coche Para que ansas mancornados At eleven o'clock at night We were in a desperate way They tied our hands behind our back And took because far away. So this was the. <laughs> sleep well, mijo. Sleep, sleep well! <laughs> oh, <thank you>. <laughs> <laughs> so this was about the border, you know, about being hauled away, you yeah. know, uh, having no green card, no passport. So at a very early age, I had those songs. And, um, so uh, that's, 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 that's where the words began for me. You've lived
0: literally um, th- every corner of the state, it seems like, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we kind of covered it. I don't think we covered it all. but
1: uh, Almost, yeah. Some corners, yeah, yeah. Some good corners. So I'm, I'm curious
0: about how uh, living in different places in this state uh, changed your writing, or did, did, did you, you know, did the, the place you were at a given time change the way you approached to work or the, or, or, the, or the work itself?
1: There's so many levels to it, you know. Yeah. It kind of kept me in isolation. And I hadn't thought of, or, or, yeah, in isolation and solitude. Solitude. Because I could go out. <laughs> it was in solitude. Uh, I'm an only child. So moving all the time from city to city, from ranch to camp to, to town, to big city, to super city, and back again. Um,
0: your parents, we should say, your parents were migrant farm workers yeah, for a while.
1: Uh-huh. So I went from the San Joaquin Valley of California. Uh, my parents are uh, going out to, you know, uh, uh, work grapes and uh, hops and uh, whatever plant was growing, uh, and um, from ranch to ranch and seeing my father uh, drive the tractor <laughs> and uh, eat, you know having breakfast outside. It was really cool, and uh, the, the the embers burning in the morning. You know, whistling. And listening to those sounds, I was a kid, you know, and uh, I loved all that. Mm. I didn't see the hard life. I didn't see that. It was just no one complained, you know, you know. So, so there was my father, and there goes my mother, and uh, there I go and playing with bugs. Yeah, all right, got a bug, you know. (laughs) And 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 the really cool bug was El Niño de la Tierra, Niño de la Tierra, (laughs) The, the, (laughs) the Child of the Earth bug. And it had a beautiful little baby face, a little Gerber. You see the Gerber face <laughs> on the kids? It had that face. It had that face. It said, Juanito. <laughs> but it was a little, you know, that's how yeah. I uh, <laughs> took time out. And uh, so going from that to, um, to a town like Escondido in the mid-50s, <clears throat> hanging out in Escondido in the ranches. My father uh, would work for people by that time. And that's when I kind of got an, another um, echo of that corrido, that border song. Um, my friends, you know, uh, they owned a house, a little house on Lincoln, off of Lincoln Street, Escondido. And one day that green van came up, okay, rolled into town, and rolled right down Lincoln Street, that uh, border patrol van. And uh, they went right into that house where my friends lived and the parents lived. And they took them out one by one, and I saw him leave, never to be seen again. So um, that was a big, big piece, you know for me, a big moment. I mean, it hurt. I, lo- I lost my friends, and, and then now I can see what happened to them. The so I went from there on to city to city. Yeah, yeah.
0: And did that sort of that itinerant <laughs> childhood did it make it? easier or harder for you because, you know, as an adult, you've moved around a lot yeah. for, for positions, for academic positions. Do you, do you get wanderlust? It's like time to, time, we were just talking about that <laughs> back there, about, about moving. You've been in Riverside uh, for seven years now.
1: Uh, that's a long time. <laughs> oh, Especially yeah. Especially in Riverside. Mm, we would get up and go. We would get up and go. Yeah. Mama said, ya nos vamos. Where are we going, mom? San Francisco when are we gonna go? Two hours. <laughs> <laughs> I said, like, two hours? Yeah. It's gonna be great. We're gonna go to the bus station. We're gonna get, get a bus on the corner and we're gonna go to the train station and bang, we're gonna go. I like, go, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So here's a bag. So you need anything? I don't know. Where's my toy? Pfft, okay. <laughs> Let's go. And then we would just shut that screen door and haul out of there at four in the morning go to the bus stop and catch the bus and I get all excited you know, I get all excited, I go yeah and then I go to the train station alright, the train station made out of cool wood like this looked like a palace it was like a beautiful moment, it was like you know, king in the bus sta- in the train station, gonna take a train got on the little got on those seats and the felt good you know, like Comfrey Bogart in there <laughs> pull, pull, pull my hat sideways <laughs> And you know the the train began to roll, and you could see the scenes go by. And then we were in San Francisco, and my cousins would pick us up, go hang out with my cousins on the on missions in uh, the mission. And it was the 20th in mission where my tia Aurelia ran a Mexicatessen. the first the the first Mexicanesson in San Francisco. And my uncle had this makeshift tortilla machine, looked like a dinosaur. You know, made out of gears and car parts and mufflers. <laughs> A big old tortilla came flying up, break your nose, you know, peel it off the wall, take off the cork and everything. <laughs> and uh, my my aunt would make these these sandwiches, sandwiches for workers, which were tortas, you know sandwiches for workers because across the street was a Regal Pale Brewery and the Beacons place Beacons Movers Uh. so all the guys would come in yeah I'll take a I'll take a pastrami on a hard roll uh, with hard you know uh, what do they call those hard crust albina and I'll take a Dr. Brown celery soda make that an extra pickle (laughs) and extra extra mustard so I would watch them and listen to them. Go, Did they wow. not
0: see
1: the part that said Mexico? Because <laughs> <laughs> my, my aunt, you know, la tía moderna, she was a modern aunt. Oh yes, today we have, you know, pastrami. And, and my mom would go, ¿Qué es eso que pastrami? <laughs> and, uh, and my other aunt was the, um, the, the swimming aunt. ¿No sabes qué? What, Alvina? Yes. I'm going swimming. <laughs> <laughs> and and what are you going to go swimming, Teresa? At the Y. <laughs> At the YWCA. How modern, huh? So, uh, so i would be watching all that yeah. all the time. And then I lived on the second floor with my, my beatnik uh, 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 cousin Tito. And we were talking about, that's where I learned my jazz. Mm -hmm. I was in fourth grade. And uh, he'd be playing everything really loud so we could really blast our eardrums because we had bunk beds and he had the top bunk, we had the lower bunk. Me and my boxing club, boys club cousin, Vicente. It's a whole other story. He dragged me to the boys club boxing team in San Francisco. Now, you know that's going to be a tough little boxing team. And just because I was tall didn't mean I was a hardcore Kidney punch, rabbit punch, brawler. I was a San Diego wimpy boy. Because <laughs> I was always alone, you know? So, uh, you know, scribbled. So, uh, she so would come home, and my cousin Tito the Beatnik, he'd be blasting Cal Jader, Mongo Santa Maria, and he would be doing Horace Silver. Uh, and uh, Yusef Latif. So then I go to school. Hey, you said flat Latif. <laughs> 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 so
0: you, you, you've been wearing that little hip hat for like <laughs> <laughs>
1: little, little huerco, huh? <laughs> So you know, it was a great time. <laughs> uh,
0: I wanted to ask you something. Francisco Lomeli, in the little bit that I read, you know, yeah. referred to you as a as a uniquely American writer, and it reminded me. <laughs> Of something I heard Luis Valdez say in the 1980s when oh. we were going through this thing of what to call ourselves, right? You oh know God. what I mean? You know, are we, are we Mexican it. Americans? Are we Chicanos? Are <laughs> we Latinos? Are we Hispanic? Da, 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 da. And, I, and he gave this speech that I heard him say, and he, and he, and mm-hmm. he was going through all that, and he mm-hmm. said, he said, You know what? He goes, You know what I am? I'm an American.
1: Yeah, he finally, you know, psh, yeah. He hit that level. And, and I won, and. It, and, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> That was a hard level to get to. Well,
0: <laughs> but the reason, I, and the reason I bring that up is because as I was, you know, sort of making my way through the, you know, the the progression of your work, mm. you write. Uh, I'm going to conservatively guess 90, 95 percent in English. I mean, I yeah. think early on you're a little more Spanish. Sprinkled in, but but yeah. but now almost, in, yeah. but now almost exclusive, ex, almost exclusively. So was that a conscious? Was that a conscious decision you made at
1: some point? Uh. F- mm, that's a good one. Was it a conscious decision? I think everything's unconscious. <laughs> uh, was it a conscious? Uh, I don't know. You know, uh, it, was, it was it was it was wild. It was wi- It was just as wild. You know, sometimes you think of well. I'm going to write in English now. But you know, (laughs) (laughs) right? It was just as wild as writing in Chicano Pachuco English Spanish. It was just as wild. Because it wasn't really English. It was like that weird language out there. (laughs) Right? (laughs) It was that Unreachable language, mm-hmm. you know, the language I got punished for not speaking right. in first grade. So it was that language, you know. Uh, and uh, after all those rejections of my own language at mm-hmm. home, which was another, it was a fabulous language, you know. Andale, Juanito, si no vienes ahorita, te dar un guamazo ya sabes, te a esta te a de You know, my mother, uh, kind of uh, uh, using her own Tex-Mex uh, Spanish, about you know grabbing her slipper and tearing a branch off the tree and 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 and, and uh, correcting my behavior, <laughs> uh, was its own magical, fabulous language, and I had rejected that in some ways but when we hit the mid 60s I, I kind of went we kind of went back to it right we kind of we didn't go back to it we went present to it mm-hmm. we didn't have to go back we went present to it and um and then uh, and then really adding on all the pachucones and pachucanes that we didn't even know we had yet we were using it all the time pues qué gacho lo sabes qué guacho en la corna si no llegas ahorita uh, you know, like I catch you, I'll catch you on the block if you don't show up. So we had the, the Pachuco ness uh, uh, borderlands language, the home, the home language, and the campesino Spanish. Donde dejaste los tiliches? Right? That's kind of campesino language, you know? Um, like that. Yep. Molcajete, yes, en morcajete, yes, in campesino Spanish, uh, home language. So I had kind of left that behind. And then we got our Pachuco Borderlands talk, which we already were talking because we were kind of English and mm-hmm. Spanish and creative Spanish-English. So when we began to write with those languages, it was electrifying, as you know. It was electrifying. And we got it before the audiences and we go, mm. um, uh, uh, Let us gather in a flourishing way con las cuatro esquinas the uh, nuestra tierra, earth, sol, lluvia, rain. We'd said something like that, right? And that was so amazing. It was electrifying. It was like, you know, in the core of the belly of the universe, in a sense. In our core, that's what happened. Uh, so we went to English. Here we go. Short answer, huh? <laughs> so when I went to... the time to we have. <laughs> so when I went to English... It was just as wild. Mm. It was just as new and explosive. So so then right, so then I got into it because I had kind of held it back too. I hell it's like a double rejection. Isn't that weird? You not only don't speak your home language, but you don't speak the quote unquote official language. So you have a resistance to both. It wasn't just a resistance to our home culture. Because it wa- we weren't allowed and we were punished for it, but we were also resistant to the the national culture and language. Mm. So then we were pressing against two, two, two tsunamis. But so did w- you ever
0: did you get to a point where you realized, hey, I'm writing mostly in English now?
1: Yeah, I did because yeah. uh, after my first book, which was which was really bilingual, was bilingual, yeah. and and uh, perhaps it was the real book, you know, mm. perhaps it was the real book because I just really poured it out of me and it wasn't quote unquote crafted and uh, so when I finally hit the second book uh, Exiles of Desire, I, I made a conscious move, I said you know what, I really want to write in English this time around and I'm going to write things that, uh, that are not in the, main, in, the, in the Chicano stream, I really felt that tension because I had re- been so much into the Chicano stream <laughs> how about that stream, Chicano stream <laughs> 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 that that, that uh, that I really got into it. So that's when I wrote Exiles of Desire. I really got into it. So I got into it, you know.
0: Would you mind
1: mind reading Exiles? Is it in here? I'll find out.
0: (laughs) Bear with us for a second.
1: So, so, you know, I think that's it, you know. Getting into it. Getting into it. Ah, Getting into being in the middle. Getting into resisting. Getting into letting go. Getting into not writing. Getting into scrambling it all up together. Huevos rancheros and getting into English, and, you know, just getting into it.
0: So this is an early...
1: I loved it. What, loved years,
0: it. what year is Exiles? Don't mind me. Uh, what? What year is Exiles from? <laughs> huh? Was that again? Ex-
1: yeah. <laughs> what year it is?
0: You didn't think it was in there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's, it's 1979-ish. Okay. 1979-ish. I remember writing this uh, at Susalo Library, the mezzanine floor of the University of Washington in Seattle, with my little technical blue pen.
0: What were you doing
1: there? Uh, I was on Love Quest. Wow. <laughs> Thank you for your honesty. <laughs> should, we, should, we, should we ask? I uh...
0: oh, will leave it there.
1: <laughs> oh, man. So, so I kind of, you know, yeah. So I wrote this. Yeah, was it was a Love Quest. Or was it was after the Love Quest. Oh. So <laughs> Exiles. And I remember seeing the diary of Edvard Munch there in uh, 1892. And I've always loved the painting called The Scream. And uh, I hadn't seen the, the diary. And he says, And I heard an, unend- an, un- an unending scream piercing nature. And that I really re- uh, thought that was uh, the underlying um, current of uh, our existence at that time. As... Um, in this case, uh, as uh, Mexicanos in the United States, that we were exiled, yet we didn't have the status of exiles. And I thought that was interesting, a most interesting state to be in, to not even have the status of exile, and yet be in exile. At the Greyhound bus stations, at airports, at silent wharfs, the bodies exit the crafts. Women Men, children, cast out from the new paradise. They're not there in the homeland in Argentina. Not there in Santiago, Chile. Never there in Montevideo, Uruguay. And they're not here in America. They are in exile. A slow scream across a yellow bridge, the jaws stretched, widening the eyes Multiplied into blood, orbits torn, whirling, spilling between two slopes, the sea, black, swallowing, all prayers, shadeless. Only tall, faceless figures of pain flutter across the bridge. They pace in charred suits. The hands lift and point and ache and fly at sunset at, as cold, dark birds. They will hover over the dead ones, a family, shattered, By military, buried by hunger. Asleep now, with the eyes burning. Echoes falling. Joaquin. Maria. Andrea. Joaquin. Joaquin. Andrea. And exilio. From here we see them. We the ones from here. Not there or across, only here without the bridge, without the arms, as blue liquid, quenching the secret thirst of unmarked graves, without our flesh journeying refuge or pilgrimage, not passengers on imaginary ships sailing between reef and sky. We that die here awake on Harrison Street, on Excelsior Avenue, Clutching the tenderness of chrome radios, whispering to the saints in supermarkets, motionless in the chasms of playgrounds, searching at 9 a.m. from our third floor cells, bowing mute, shoving the curtains with trembling, speckled brown hands, alone. We look out to the wires, the summer, to the newspapers wound in knots as matches for tenements. We that look out from our miniature vestibules, peering out from our old clothes, the father's well-sewn plaid shirt pocket, an old woman's oversized wool sweater, peering out from the makeshift kitchen. We peer out to the streets, to the parades. We the ones from here, not there or across. From here, only here. Where is our exile? Who has taken it? Um, Uh,
0: I want to say this while I'm thinking about it, but this book, this anthology, comes with a CD of Juan Felipe reading about 24, 25 of your poems, right? Mm-hmm.
1: So, Yeah, a whole stack. It's, yeah.
0: a, it's, a, multi-me- it's a multimedia extravaganza. <laughs> Very nice. So I was reading uh, from this book yesterday, uh, and a couple of odd odd serendipitous things occurred to me. One was uh, that it was Father's Day, and I've just come across a poem that is at least in part about your father. Um, mm-hmm. And then, and then I also, and, it was, and then there was the news yesterday that Rodney King had died, and there was this other sort of series of poems that you wrote mm. after the riots. Yes. Uh, and I, I wanted to ask you about both of those. Let, let, let's, let's maybe start with the, the, the riot series first. Sure. Where did that, how did that come about? Where were you at the time?
1: I think I was in Fresno. I was in Fresno, and uh, I was uh, watching television, and bang, there it is. Um, L.A. on fire, and I had lived in L.A., and I lived in L.A. when it was on fire, Uh, 1969, 1970. Before that, bullets and police and dead students, dead community, uh, human beings, and being chased by police in uh, East L.A., running mad through the streets of L.A. with young, young people, myself included, but younger than me during the high school blowouts mm. of East L.A. So there I am watching the television, and uh, I said, you know what, give me some paper, give me some paper, because they just lit me up, and I had to write, so I wrote. Uh, the Black Christ, uh, Rodney King, The, uh, the Black Christ, um, and All Our White Sins.
0: This series is called Love After the Riots.
1: It's another collection.
0: Oh, that's a different it's
1: one. It's another one. Okay. Yeah, this, this one is like a one-shot deal. Uh, it's one poem that I wrote in uh, one, one take. And this Love After the Riots is kind of a, a different hmm. different treatment, more of cinematic treatment. Uh, and in this Rodney King first piece, um, I'm watching television in Fresno, in North Fresno, kind of like a middle-class area., uh, well, Margarita, my partner's upstairs taking a shower. I'm downstairs riding. I'm getting into it. You know, television's blowing up, because LA.'s blowing up. And, and I kind of become aware of myself. I go, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, okay, you know, cool. You can ride all this, but you're just sitting here in a cool comfy chair, um, looking at TV, with a pencil in your hand. Uh, so I, I kind of began to examine myself, perhaps one of the first times I do that, as opposed to just writing from, from my nose out there, I kind of looked in and looked at myself in this room, writing uh, about what's going on. Um, it's a tough. It was a tough poem to write because I had to. I kind of got into it, and then I kind of got out of it at the same time. And people, sometimes people think that I'm I'm really in there. Well, I am in there, but I'm also out here. And this other one is different.
0: Yeah. And Love After the Riots, but was, was that also sort of, it was years after the riots, but it was, but, but was it also came out of that same experience or no?
1: Yeah, it came out of that same experience. This is, a, this is 1993. Mm-hmm. I'm in Carbondale, Southern Illinois, two hours north of Memphis, in a little house uh, surrounded by hundreds of open acres and happy cows <laughs> <laughs> on a nice little road, route number two. <laughs> uh, I'm out there in a duplex. Uh, and I got into it. I got right back to it. And I put on La Dolce Vita by Fellini, which I never did get to see until that day. And that night, and I dragged the computer all the way from work, Southern Illinois University. Wait, Tartino, you know, those computers weigh 300 pounds then. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the truck was like this. So I, I took in the computer to my house. I, I put on the video, because that's what I did. Thursday through Tuesday, I watched videos. And I, I got the Dolce Vita. I said, I finally get to see this. I'm a big Fellini fan. Um, Did
0: you, you got, Read the first anyway. th- read, so. read the first one, if you would. This is the, <laughs> the first of the Love After the Riots.
1: So I took a whole different take, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, I put it all in one day mm-hmm. from the mor- uh, evening to the morning. Right. Started at night into the morning. And I kind of created two characters that are lovers that are traveling oh. through a burning city And this is the first notation, 7.30 p.m. Thursday. Below the helicopter, running from the system, leaving L.A., going with these whipping blades pulling over my face, they swarm into me, bellow in the name of Dante Alighieri, follow his equestrian milk to the 10th ring, ragged ivory, riot buildings, held in orgasm, circular wrestling, efficiencies with our thighs that splash, waters of cinnamon guns, this thief's oboe, this new world, mechanical bedroom in the center of Avenue X. Outside, yes, there is chalk dust and 18 wheelers on fire." That was a whole different yeah.
0: So then, so it was Father's thing. Day yesterday, and I'm yes, it was. reading. Uh, and you have, you have kids, right? Mm-hmm. How many kids do you have? My plan. and uh, and so this one poem of yours really struck me because it's uh, so beautiful. Because uh, you reference one of your sons, and then and then you write about your father, right? In New York City, angelic. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. Would you mind reading it?
1: Sure. Right.
0: It's really. Uh... <laughs> fasten your seatbelts.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Well you know, the best w- the only way I can really write is one 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 writing, you know. Revision, there's no such thing, you know? <laughs> that's for
0: that's where I'm
1: saying. You can't revise the universe, can you? Can you revise the universe? You can't revise the universe. You know, it's happened already. You know, so anyway. <laughs> New York City angelic, Josh, my son, said. And en route to New York City. Josh, my son, said he'd probably show up with champagne and fire poems. Fire writing, he said. Can't get over the simultaneities, intensities between fathers and sons. My mother's intensity to me, mother, son. My own father, Felipe, his quiet fires, 11th Street with amputated leg. Blood splash on the floor, razor-cutting his toenails. Oh, Mexico-style, deep gash with diabetes. This is where he began to die in a mad push towards rebirth. Chihuahua, corn farmer, campesino orphan, train jumper, teen, travel kid, to El Norte, Cheyenne, Wyoming. And the myth continues in its Ptolemaic ellipse back and forth to me. And that creative last tiny torrent he began to build. Two by fours, hammers, and seven inch nails he began to hammer. Builder, campesino at the age of 82. Shuffler with the right foot dragon. Talker, open cuento style. Non smoker, Baptist Mexicano English. Speaking coat and hat man. White shirt and long johns, he began to build. After his last visits to Tijuana, whorehouses at the age of 82. After his last son, Juan Felipe, at the age of 16, who wandered. I wandered in silent cathedrals packed in illusion sins and books on Saratusta and Schopenhauer and Nausea at Mission Beach, San Diego on Saturday mornings. On the R-Bus to Belmont Park, After my inside world grew thick and golden and wet, marooned and caught and knotted and lonesome urban and the street blind solar boy on his left wing, he began to build, Orphan drinker of goat milk and woman honey, seeker in a worn brown suit, Denver, 1907, a few blocks from the railroad station, now hitched with my mother, out of wedlock, illegal, without papers, naturalized before the world in 1924, with large speckled friendly hands, seed planter, potato fryer, proverb speaker, and cuento sayer, and more cuentos about the bald man, the itchy man, and the runny nose man, or when spit turns to ice in Denver, that figure, that man, on the downslope in San Diego, Mid '60s with the Beatles on the tube, Ed Sullivan in bluish black and white on the nine-inch, with one, with one John Coltrane setting the pace album and one Dion album on my sofa. No record player. He began to build the Vietnam smoldering with Mexico expanding into Diaz Ordaz Grenadiers and Tlatelolco expanding from the romantic moonsoon songs of Pedro Infante and his metal-plated frontal lobe dead now, gone into another last plane crash, his mariachi suit moist and semen broken guitars and all the young sharp-haired and high-toned and prayed-out Mexican boxers dancing in the Tijuana bullring El Raton Macias versus Davy Moore in the rain among thousands in the mesh Light, cultured carriage of Catholic devotions. My father, with a busted vessel and torn walker foot, bleeding nonstop, expressed to oblivion destiny. Renata, town. He began to build a new leg, a two-by-four campesino leg. Make sure he can't continue the flight spiritual, the flight to my mother with pains in the belly, with blood alarmed in her menstruation womb. He, he. She caresses a cat over the torn sarape sheet. And she looks away as I take her photo, gaping hold, openness of our tiny apartment and that place, San Diego, in the midst of things, the world dividing, exploding, damaged, sewn back through stone, grass, rocks, capillaries, desert, and trains. Do the meditation, the father guitar, quinto song eternal, the mother no longer sacrificial yet holy, the son now walking, always walking, the house gone up and tribal lashes gone south to emptiness gone to the earth sky river melody no chain no shame no name
0: uh, <laughs> we're gonna spend a few minutes taking questions recently the new civil rights movement is the dream act and we should all be happy of what occurred Two questions. What is your view of the Dream Act students and is it gonna inspire a new phase of writing uh,
1: from you? I think the the Dream Act students are uh, very brave. I think they're still still marching. They're still speaking. They're still uh, being out in the open even though without papers. And that's a mighty big thing to do. A mighty brave thing to do. So I think, right? And I think that in itself is the writing, you know? That in itself is the writing. Sometimes we think the writing is on paper, but the writing is uh, what we do every day and uh, how we uh, 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 write ourselves in life. And uh, I think uh, the way they're writing themselves in life is uh, indeed, yes, very inspirational. And uh, will it inspire me? Uh, I think, of course, it it inspires me. And I gain... um, uh, more encouragement and more gratitude and more learning. Uh, uh, to be open is, is is the way to go. Uh, sometimes I get pretty closed, you know. I have all my ideas and all my big old notebooks and uh, my my styles and all that stuff I like. But um, I want to put it down and and you know take it in. And I'm so I'm taking it in and I'm very inspired because there's so much suffering going on. So when I see the dreamers and all those that uh, are, are speaking out and speaking up and uh, in front of uh, many odds, um, many um, bigger odds, perhaps than when I was 17 and 18, and early '20s, uh, it, is, it, it takes me out of my, my uh, small world I build every day for myself, and it opens up the doors for me, and I think for everyone else.
0: Uh, my name is Nati Vasquez, and I met you 40 years ago at the uh, USC for the Floricanto oh, yeah. Festival, where I met Alurista, yeah. and on and on and on. I just wanted to know how you took that, or what, what lessons
1: you took from that? From the Floricanto? Uh, Floricanto, yes. 1973, USC, November 13th, 14th. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it it's was great. Number, yeah. It was beautiful. You know, it's like a Chicano Woodstock. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was great, you know. We had our, you know, our little stack of poetry, our little yellow legal paper pads, our guitars, our huipiles. I was walking around in a weepil from Tenejapa. You know, beautiful red stripes and uh, incense sticks in my Gibson guitar case, uh, which I got for 50 bucks in high school, mighty nice. And we came to uh, USC, you know, and we came from all different corners. Tomas Rivera was there, (laughs) Raul Salinas was there, uh, Rudy Anaya was there, um, uh, Teresa Palomo Acosta was there, uh, Viviana Cermeño was there, Lynn Romero was there, and the list goes on. I'm missing a lot. Eh. Eh, Right, the brown buffalo from L.A., Oscar Zeta Acosta had shown us his poetry and at UCLA, we still hang out at UCLA in the Royce Hall Quad and uh, lean on the Royce Hall Quad concrete columns and read Oscar's poems. They were pretty cool, you know, short line poems around this big and nothing compared to his novels, you know, the poems were much more quiet pieces as I remember them. And, uh, and right, when we went to uh, USC, he, he, we were all so excited, you know. Raul Salinas was doing his, uh, his homenaje al Pachuco, the homage to the Pachuco, and it was so good, you know. Uh, um, let's see. Ese loco, dig on what? On what them dudes are saying, that you're a non goal oriented, alienated being, sufriendo un identity crisis. Me la rayo, this guy, you sprang from a chuco and you boogered into loss into U.S. naval battlegrounds. Room one, the Zapachuco. pachuco. Room two, everything you ever wanted to know about a pachuco. Room three, <laughs> the post-structural, post-modernist, post-post-pachuco. <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> I, I, I so, to tell you a funny story about Raul. <laughs> so that was Raul Salinas. <laughs> about Raul
0: Salinas. I was working, very quickly, I was, I was, I was working a, a newspaper in San Antonio, and there was, he was in town to do a reading, and they had, somebody had written a story about him in the newspaper that I was working at. And somebody in the story was talking about Raul and it was quoted, quoted him in the story as calling him El Mero Chingon of Chicano poetry, right? Oh. So, you know, there was nobody on the copy desk who spoke Spanish, right? So, <laughs> so not only did that get into the story, but on the photo, that was the caption <laughs> under his photo. What was the caption? It said, Raul Salinas El Mero Chingon. <laughs> Shinga.
1: Ask, ask a friend. Shinga a former karate. Yeah. What are your favorite albums or pieces by Yusef Latif and or John Coltrane? John Coltrane, the 1963 Prestige album, Setting the Pace. I love that one. It was impossible to find. And I got it when I had my big old phonograph box, cost 40 bucks that I never used, that I, that I kind of used, but I only had it at the very end. So, all before I had, was just carrying around my Coltrane albums. <laughs> you know, and uh, Yusef Latif, my, my cousin had those albums, and I never noticed the titles, but I uh, used to listen to the pieces. Uh, which, which album uh, do you remember? The Blue Yusef Latif. The Blue Yusef Latif, yeah. yeah. With, yeah. The blue, with the turquoise album? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Juba, Juba. yeah. That's good stuff, yeah. Yusef Latif. The innovator, what an innovator. Before his time. Everybody was before their time at that time. <laughs> <laughs> so much of what a writer takes from that, that well that they draw from is, is the idea of home. And I'm want you, asking you to um, talk with me a little bit about home as a concrete place versus a fluid idea. That's a great question because... Uh, There was so much love uh, that I received from my mother. So my mother's love was my home, even though we traveled and really had no home. And her stories were my home. And my father's stories were my home, and my my father's self was my home. They were my home, you know, as human beings. And their warmth and quiet and simplicity, kindness and patience, that was my home. Otherwise it was a tent or a, a... a cool idea my dad got: uh, unearthing a, a buried car, and and using the chassis for the foundation of our one-room house that he built, so we could have a travel a traveling house. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he <took on> got <laughs> a motorhome.
1: That was pretty cool. <laughs> but when we were going up Ramon up that mountain, it almost slipped off, you know. Oh, <laughs> ah. <laughs> and. Uh, and home is kind of funny, you know, because it, sometimes it's in front of us. It's not behind us. It's somewhere we want to go to. We want to find it. Or it's, it's underneath the stones. We want to unearth it. You know, all the archaeology we've all been involved with, right? All the archaeological thinking of, you know, reclaiming our home, reclaiming our land, our homeland. It's all like, you know, we've got to do this. We've got to lift up stones and got to go to the library. F-1219 to F-1235, F- F- you know. It's in there somewhere. Olmecs, Mayas, Totonacs, you know, Toltecs. Um, when all, when, uh, when all along, um, we were in our home already, but we had a hard time. Um, I had a hard time seeing that. But this is my home. Everywhere is my home, and I was looking for it, either in that warmth of my family, uh, or in this archaeological, historical, uh, buried monument. And all that, all that was there was rubble. Oh. Even though it was almost sacred rubble that I had to piece, we all started piecing together. And, and definitely, myself included. Many, many years involved in that. Many years. You had mentioned that um, you didn't revise too much. <laughs> so... Uh, I find that like if I if I write something or if I draw something or do anything, I edit to the point where it's like dead. So how exactly do you do you do that? You just leave it? All, all process is good. G- dead is good. <laughs> dead is good. You know, okay. You know, it's, it's it's okay. You know, and we have a you know a couple of lines. That's good. We did a whole thing, you know, a, a, a sestina, you know, a Petrarchan sestina. Okay, let's go for it. Uh, or, or if you know, I, I like I'm getting into big font lately. Lately, <laughs> I'm really getting into big fonts, <laughs> and and and, uh, and I'm kind of getting into a, a, a hardcore super repetition, and uh, I'm really getting into that too. And uh, you know, like this, you know, so uh, it's exciting for me. So our process is good, you know, if you revise, okay, cool, good. I, I, I enjoy just letting it all hang out and, and writing. Um, some, some, some stuff I've really, you know, when I t- attempted to tell a story, it's been kind of hard, you know, because you have to tell a story. <laughs> it's it's kind of hard, you know, because it has to sound like a story, kind of read like a story especially if it's a young adult novel, it's kind of a hard way to go. Uh, Every time I've attempted it, it hasn't worked. Uh, You know, I make it to the editor, I make it to the agent, I make it to the publisher, and it goes, (laughs) Uh, so that's when I did a lot of, I did revision, and it's okay, you know. I kind of learned the hard way on how to write uh, stories, because I'm not really a story writer. I'm probably a storyteller, but not a story writer. Maybe I am. Uh, I'm more of a on the on the page, boom boom, you know, writer, uh, scribbler, doodler, and and when I accept that, when I accept my doodling and go with it, then I'm really then I'm really cool, you know. I'm, I have a lot of fun, <laughs> you know, you know. I, this is a poem, you know. All you got to say because we're poets, you know. We go, <laughs> hey, what, what do you got there, Juan Felipe? Hey, man, I got a poem. <laughs> And, and, and nobody's going to say, "Well, that isn't a poem." <laughs> According to the 14 you know, elements of uh, of you know uh, of, 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 of Cretan culture, uh, this this does not conform to the pastels of uh, that time, and uh, the rhyme over here <laughs> does not match the assonance <laughs> of the corner pocket. <laughs> So, so you know, when, when we say when we say that we're good, you know, like this is a poem too. See, that's a poem. People's mic, all right. Um, and photos can be poems, right? You know, photos can be poems. You can write on margins that they can be margin poems. You know, margin poem um, or mar- marginal poem. It could be a marginal margin poem. <laughs> so, so I enjoy that. You know, when when we spill over. And we keep on spilling into visual art, into photography, into music, into dance, into theater, and then we go into this place that they all kind of just blend and explode, which is, like you and me, blending and exploding, So, But when we stick to uh, this, thing, uh, this notion of craft, we kind of think it's a craft thing. Hmm. It's just a word but we think it's like a craft thing down here somewhere. It's over here. Um, and it's okay too, you know. Uh, the freer the better. How's that? Let's keep it simple. The freer the better. How's that? <laughs> yeah. Fear the better. Fear the better. But when we put the publisher ahead of us, remember that? We were talking in uh, Nuevo in Mexico recently. When we put the publisher ahead of us, it's going to be hard. Because then we're thinking of the publisher. As nice as they are, you know. <laughs> or when we put our agents, the agents in front of us, as nice as, as, as they are, then our, our writing is very hard. It's very tough because we're writing, writing for the publisher. We're writing for the agent. And they have, you know, certain guidelines and, and recommendations. That's great. We need recommendations. We do. you know. We don't know at all. I don't know at all. But when we're writing ahead of the publisher or ahead of the agent, we're free. It's nice out there. It's nice out there. You can spread your arms wide, you can dance, backflip, flip, uh flip put your hand on some paint, slap it around the paper, and you're good. You're not gonna get published. <laughs> but you're good. You're, you're good. You're good, <laughs> right? I'd rather be in the good than in the oh man, you know, uh, you know, how do I write this? You know, I'm not just you know, there's no way I can do this. I don't know how to do this. Ah. <laughs> it's okay too. I, I do that too. You know, I, I do that too. Uh, so free is good, by the way. I see that this is obviously your country, and I've seen throughout my life that that sharing the mm. roots or the culture it's not the same that sharing a reality. Um, for, what you, for what you say, um, you've always been um, aware or concerned about uh, the reality of your people back there. Um, how do you feel now, uh, on 2012? And I'm saying that because even though I am here, um, Reality and culture? Reality and culture? Writing and reality and Present culture? Writing and reality and culture? Present reality. Present reality. Oh, yeah, of... of Your people back there. (laughs) I'm going to take up my Wittgenstein handbook. (laughs) Uh, You know, uh, all realities are right now. I think for me that's the most fruitful way to go because I did spend a lot of time looking back. But I kind of discovered it's all right now. Uh, It's all right now. The past is right now. And the future is right now. So there really is no going back and there really is no uncovering. It's really right now. So we can write right now. We've taken care of it. And it's okay also to go back to the books and to go back to the stories, of course. But they're all right now. You know, if we, if we want to look at Aztec culture, it's right now. Is right now, it's thriving in the millions in, in Mexico City. When I look at uh, Mayan culture, it's thriving right now. It's even here in LA and beyond. So it's, you know, it's, uh, we're all, we're all I- uh, intersecting. Is not a, I don't like that word, inter- intersecting. It's not, it sounds like algebra or geometry. <laughs> the isosceles triangle. You know, we, we're all. Uh, uh, together. We're all together.
0: Let me just quickly follow up on what that? she said because in, in your CD you mentioned, as a preface to one of your poems, you mentioned your first trip to Mexico City and how it changed your life. I did. And, uh, and, I, and maybe what I wanted to follow up with that, was. that journey? Was well, but, but now what, what, what relationship do you have to Mexico now?
1: Well, I carry it with me. Yeah. I carry it with me. Uh, this thing called reality is a fuzzy, is a fuzzy funny thing, isn't it? We have kind of hashed it over the last 20 years in PhD programs, right? We kind of, it's been hashed. We kind of really rehashed it all up really nice because of the 60s and 70s, we kind of believed in this thing called uh, 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 culture, and we kind of had this kind of static idea, right, that it was one thing and it was one thing only. We can go over there and scratch, scratch the pyramid and it would come popping out, and then uh, we would put it in our pocket, bring it home, and show it to everybody. Uh, I had that thought. I mean, and I worked with that. But right, the last 20 years, all the artists and poets and writers and critics and you know, tore that little thing and you know, bounced it across the wall. And um, it's all been discussed about being a malleable, uh, a highly dynamic, um, um, kind of non graspable thing, right? Culture and reality are kind of non graspable. You can't grasp a river, you can't grasp it. You can't, you can't grasp it. You can't grasp, you know, you're it. Um, But, you know, talking about journeys, if that's what you're thinking about, uh, journeys to homeland, that is very powerful. Uh, That was my issue back in 60, oh man, Uh, 69. Everybody was talking about culture. You know, the Mayas, the Aztecas, the Chichimecas, somos Chichimecas, yeah, Chichimeca power. And I, you know, I, I got into that. It was beautiful. It was a great moment. It was enjoyable. It was delicious. It was full of discovery and innovation and improvisation, and we came up with amazing things. We all have. You all have. We all have. And then I said, well, you know, it's okay. But what about just, you know, getting there? What about let's just get in a truck, let's go to um, uh, uh, San, San Cristóbal de las Casas. Let's go to the vestiges of the Lacandon jungle and our beat up old truck let's get on our little Cessna hire a daredevil pilot in San Cristobal and, and go <laughs> and crash land into the selva into the vestiges of what used to be called the rainforest before 1940 and I broke a wheel off in every verse as Lacandon, Mayan uh, indigenous people standing up looking at me and um, Tomas uh, Mendoza-Hero from East L.A. Who we we're we're going to borrow his trailer and he's parked in his dad's backyard before we went on this journey and we're driving across the freeway right here, L.A. freeway and the whole roof blew off and I go, well, there goes our trailer. <laughs> but when we got there standing face to face with Lacandon Mayas in 1970 it was very different than uh, F-1219 book uh, on, the, on the Mayas F-1219-14B and uh, because we were face-to-face, eye-to-eye. And then we sat down in uh, one of the uh, thatch roof homes in La Canja, Chansayab, one of the two villages at that time, 250 Lacandones uh, total, which is why I wanted to go. I said, we well, can't leave it like that. You know, we got to do something. And uh, so we went. And we sat down in that, that home made out of branches and, and uh, I don't know, insects crying all over. And elders um, were really interested in what we had to say. and We were really in, in, interested in what they had to say. And they told us about the uh, chiclero movement in the, in, the, in the area, the, the chicle rubber industry, the timber industry, in their own words. And the rape of the women and how they had to deal with that and the church coming in. And how they, ha- how they dealt with that, and how they accepted it also. That was very different than uh, going back to the books in Royce Hall Quad at UCLA. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's highly worthy because then, then it's no longer in your head or even in your hands. It's no longer a pencil or notebook. It's just breath to breath, eye to eye, heart to heart, body to body on that land. And just the land is talking to you. Just the land alone is talking to you. It's broken. It's burning. And it's it's been, mm, you know, pushed and compressed. And and uh, these people are on it and uh, still standing. And you're right there having a lemonade and a banana and a hard tortilla and chile, chile paste. And that's breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And then you walk away because you're going to walk away because you can walk away. And your plane gets back because it stopped raining. You get on your little plane. You go back to San Cristobal. You go to the hotel. You have some push. And, uh, and you walk around dizzy down the street and falling on your face. And then you come back home and you make it across Mexicali with your cameras and your uh, tape recorder and your cassettes and the ectochrome 60 millimeter. And you make it back to LA. And you make it back to Santa Monica. And there you are. And, uh, and you go back to the garage you're living in, if you can, because it blew up because one of your friends was playing with gasoline. <laughs> <laughs> And your motorcycle's burnt to bits, looks like a cucaracha. You got nowhere to go. And then you kind of sit down and you see if you can put yourself together again. (laughs) And you can't. Sandy Taylor introduced me to you on Kerbstone Press. Mm -hmm. I was wondering, how did you feel when Sandy Taylor died and when Kerbstone kind of just went away because Sandy was gone? I was surprised. I I was kind of shocked he was gone. I I didn't expect him to die. I didn't know he, you know. I just thought he was going to live forever. And uh, he took that book, Love After the Riots. Uh, you know what, I, I was kind of callous. I uh, just, it was one more thing. And now that I look back, I go, you know, I was kind of callous. And I thought, it, was, it shocked me, and then, I'm, well, then I moved on. And it wasn't a move on, oh yeah, I moved on. It was like, you know, one of those indifferent moving-ons. And now that you ask me, I'm kind of coming back to that. He was very kind to me. He took the book, he took that manuscript. No, no one else took it. And um, I, we had kind of a funny moment. I said, Sandy, um, so what about the advance, Sandy? What about the advance? He goes, what, you, don't you got a job? <laughs> I go, yeah, I got a job. So what do you want to (laughs) advance (laughs) for? But uh, he was a good man. And uh, he opened the doors to me and to a lot of us. Where was that
0: process based? Uh, based?
1: Connecticut? Connecticut.
0: I was struck by something you said earlier tonight when the question about identity came up. And uh, you made a little joke saying it was a hard level to reach being an American. Yes. I was wondering today in 2012, who gets to define what American is? And do you get to define that?
1: I think all of us get to define that. You know, it's been one of those words. we I think all of us have, uh, you know, uh, had to face. Are we American? What is American? Um, I think every one of us uh, and every one of our communities has had that question. all the writers, I remember uh, reading, uh, "Is it H. Levick, a uh, Jewish-American writer who really struggled with that question. when I read his poem, which kind of kind of uh, was echoed by Ginsburg's later poems um, about America. Uh, it, was, it's a big, it was a big issue. It is a big issue. And when I was reading uh, Isaac Rosenfeld's essay on the uh, situation of the Jewish writer in the United States, late 40s essay, and he's dealing with the issue of alienation, the alienation of Jewish uh, American writers in the Jewish community in the United States, I kind of um, um, thought that was, for me it said a lot because I felt we were going through that as Mexicanos in the United States. And uh, Rosenfeld talked about turning point in the 50s for the Jewish uh, writer. Uh, How that was a turning point that all this time, all this work that had culminated by the 50s kind of began to uh, 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 give new light and a new position for the Jewish uh, community and writer in the United States. And I read that and I go, I wonder if we've hit that turning point, you know, as uh, as uh, Mexicanos as Chicanos, uh, Latinos in the United States, as writers. Have we hit that turning point? And uh, I began to think that we have Uh, a few years ago. I was in New York and I got the uh, Beyond Margins Award and I was asked the question, what does this mean to you, this award? And I said, what it means to me is that uh, um, this kind of marks a turning point. For me it marked a turning point and I felt that uh, the 21st century is marking a turning point for the Latina and Latino writer. The way, in a similar fashion, perhaps not exactly the same, that Rosenfeld spoke of when he talked about the Jewish writer in the United States in the 50s, early 50s, and uh, and uh, he quoted Saul Bellow, saying that uh, uh, the writers were islands of the spirit at that time. And uh, I think that's that's good. I think that's who's here. Uh, perhaps bigger than an island now, is uh, a, a community of spirit. And, uh, and uh, that, uh, that's good. You know, we need that.
0: On that note, California's poet laureate. <laughs> <Larry is. laughs>
1: Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much.